Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Six Year Stint NBA podcast. I'm your host, Sean Tomessi. Today, I'm here with a special guest, Justin Hodges, to talk about the 2017 NBA draft, some of the prospects, how the college season's going, and uh, what, we're lo- what we're in store for as far as uh, the next wave of talent in the NBA. So, Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, man. I'm glad to be here. Um, so, tell me a quick little uh, introduction to this draft. How- how's it looking so far? It is loaded, man. It is loaded. Unlike yeah. any draft that I've seen in recent years, the amount of talent in this draft, top to bottom, the potential guys in this draft to become all-stars and superstars, and a bunch of these guys, they're just fun to watch. They're going to mm. be some kind of fun when they get into the league. So I'm excited for it. I've been excited for it since last year. As a lot a great group of prospects. Right, yeah, that's sort of been the talk lately. I mean, even before the 2016 draft, we were already more excited for this year's than the one at the time because, uh, you know, as we know, that was kind of a weaker draft. And um, I guess people have really been uh, holding back, waiting for this year to finally happen, and it seems like it's here. Obviously, things still have, um, you know, the opportunity to change because players can withdraw from – from eligibility, player, you know, uh, March Madness hasn't even happened yet, so we don't really know exactly what we're looking at just yet. But uh, we're certainly starting to get a better picture as the NCAA season has gone on, and um, it looks like the, you know, so far the predictions have been true, and this draft still, even after a year or two of being hyped up, still looks like something really special. Now, would you say that this is more of a top-heavy draft? Or more like one that's, uh, you know, having the, 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 the 14th pick is almost as good as having a, a top five pick. What kind, of, what kind of draft are we looking at in that sense? It's definitely a top-heavy draft to me. Okay. And that was really what made last year's draft stronger. It's really the opposite yeah. of this year's draft. Last year's draft, there weren't really any superstars or really guy, franchise guys you were going to draft other than Ben Simmons who went to Philadelphia. Right. But you could find talent to the draft for example deandre bembry who went at 23 to the hawks mm-hmm. um, a guy who they're wanting to develop to a starter malcolm brogdon who went into the second round to the bucks who has been playing spectacularly um so really last year's draft was more you could really find a good guy playing in the draft but this year is definitely more about the top 10 or 15 so guys that are really uh, more so than the guys you're going to find from picks, you know, post lottery, like 20 so on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of the times when there's sort of a drop off one year where there's been a couple pretty heavy drafts, I mean, 2014 and 15 certainly were some pretty good drafts. So it, it does make sense that 2016 kind of was a little bit dry. And when that happens, we see a lot more seniors leaving. Uh, and getting drafted in, is well into the first round. Whereas in drafts where there's a lot of potential, a lot of stars, a lot of guys that have been hyped since junior high, high school, we see a lot more junior, or, uh, freshmen and sophomores. So this year, after last year seeing a lot of seniors leave and, and, and guys like you know um, late, late, late second round picks uh, um, turning out to be quality players, we saw a lot of seniors get drafted last year. This year, I'm looking at... Uh, you know, NBA draft.net, uh, draft express. And it looks like there's hardly any seniors in this, in these mock drafts. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there are a lot in the second round, which there always is, but I'm seeing way more sophomores, juniors, and even freshmen 
even when we get into the the early second round here. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Definitely, I would agree with you. Um, even in my big boards that I've been doing, mainly, mass majority of the lottery and mass majority of the first round and tolls are mainly freshmen. You have a couple sophomores here and there, and mm-hmm. one or two juniors. But seniors, it's nowhere near as good as it was last year when you had Buddy Heald and Denzel right. Valentine, some really and nice Brogdon and all those guys. Yeah, but this year it's mainly focused on the young guys, who well, the one and done guys as we call them. Right. Um, they're really the main focus of this draft. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that. That certainly seems. I mean, <laughs> there's hardly any in the lottery as as far as projections go. Anyone who's not a freshman or an international player. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's that's uh, interesting stuff. Um, the, part of it is what makes. Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, part of it is what makes the draft class stronger because. When mm-hmm. NBA teams and front offices are looking at guys they want to build their futures around, obviously those talented 18, 19-year-olds are, you know, the most prized valuable prospects because you're going to get them for longer years. Um, I, right. Say like a senior you draft, he's already 22, 20 years old, and during a 10-year career, he's already going to be in his 30s, whereas a one-and-done talented freshman, you're getting very good value in terms of talent, and it's going to he can have a good 12, 13 year run and he'll be still be in his early thirties. Mm-hmm. So part of that, there being so many good freshmen in this class makes it such a good draft. Yeah, that, that certainly. Um, now someone like myself that doesn't follow college hoops as well as the NBA. Um, does it feel like this year, uh, you know, there's a lot more fresh faces and does it feel like last year, kind of sucked the the NCAA dry of its veteran, quote-unquote, leaders. Because, I mean, guys who are 22, 21 years old in college are veterans. So does it feel like this year there's a lot more raw talent, just even not just as far as who's getting drafted and who's under the radar, but does it feel like college hoops in general is kind of lacking that uh, uh, superiority because of, the, of last year's draft more than most years? I would say so. Um well, college yeah. basketball this year has been dominated by what they call the Blue Bloods or mm. the guys who got most when you look at Duke and Kentucky, top two. When you look at UCLA, who got two really good freshmen. When you look at Kansas, who got two really good freshmen. Right. Look at North Carolina, even though they have veterans, they've got good young talent. So a lot of the talent last year that was older and more experienced and really led to more experienced teams – you know, more yeah. fundamentally sound teams. Like Villanova. Not, like Villanova, right. exactly. Got, uh, I don't think we can really count on a team like Villanova doing what they did last right. year, even though they've been a really good team this year. But the teams that are top tier this year are the teams that do have these young players who are able to knock in these really good recruits and have really set the line between them and really the rest of college basketball who mm. simply could not get – match up in recruiting standards. Right. And so part of it does make the game a little less, I guess you can say, quote, unquote, interesting because there's less variation of good teams. Right. Even though the the top tier blue blood teams that are considered the best have been more entertaining to watch for sure. Right. And back to sort of like the repercussions of having a weak or a strong draft the year before, um, it does feel like after having a weak draft in which – you know, a lot of guys that maybe never would have been drafted 
um, but got, you know, that extra push because they were a senior in some small school somewhere, sort of like a CJ McCollum or a Damian Lillard, you know, they, they, they get pushed up more and, um, you know, there, there's sort of a lack there the next year in that category. So it feels like, um, you know, younger teams, teams with more athleticism, teams with more flash can sort of, uh, come up, but, um, let's start talking about the personnel in this draft. Now, um, Obviously, this draft this year, I've, I've sp- said before on the show, this year's draft I have not followed yet, um, but I, I, I definitely look forward to getting more into it. Can you ca- kind of educate me on who are – and listeners on who are sort of the marquee guys? Are there two guys? Are there five guys? How many people am I really, as an NBA fan, going to have to pay a lot of attention to? Well, the thing about that really sticks out about this draft is it's top heavy, and in that top heavy section of the draft, it's point guard heavy. Mm-hmm. In the lottery standards, there's a good five or six quality point guards who can really start for any team. They're very good in different regards. They're both all different types of players, but they're players that can benefit any any NBA team and can provide services. So it's the point guards, if it's teams looking for a point guard, even though the league itself is so point guard heavy right now, mm-hmm. those few teams that still need point guards are going to be able to find one if they have a top 10 pick. Right. Um, later in the drafts, we see a lot more big men. You see more skilled centers, guys like Miles Turner right. last year who went – or two years ago that went late lottery. Um, a few re- very talented shooting guards – few very talented uh, three small forwards, some good international prospects, especially at the power forward spot. But really what we're going to look back at this draft and really talk about it about five, ten so years is how good these point guards were because they're really just the face of the draft mm-hmm. in terms of their talent and their productivity in college basketball and how they're looking now. And w- what sort of uh, the trend as far as these young guys go? Like, are they um... – are they all sort of uh, unique in their own way? Are they are they sort of um, following sort of what's being asked of players in the NBA right now? What's sort of the effect do you, do you, that you noticed? They're definitely unique. Each one has unique skill sets, but it's not – when none of these guys, it's not really a situation as to where one guy's skill set is definitely much more better than another mm-hmm. guy's skill sets. They have their own strengths. They have their own weaknesses, but their strengths are so high level that it doesn't really separate itself. And there's not really a top best player. You don't have a Ben Simmons or a Carl Anthony Towns or an Andrew Wiggins in this mm. draft who you're going to say, this guy's definitely the best player in this class. You don't have that this year. But you have a good five, six, maybe seven players who if they were in those same drafts with Carl Towns or Ben Simmons or Andrew Wiggins, that they could have potentially competed for to be the top overall pick. That's how good some of these guys are. Right. But there's – so there's not a definitive best player, but these kids are such high quality that they're top players in their own regard. Okay. Now, as let's talk about point guards then. Um, it looks like – far as most draft boards go um looks like the top guys are darren fox uh frank 
Kina from France, if I'm saying that correctly, and Dennis Smith and Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. And that's a, that's a lot of players. But uh, do you feel like I'm missing someone? Is Are those the guys? <laughs> uh, you nailed it right on the head. Um, in terms of the point guards, spot, those are the top guys. And those are the guys that really NBA teams are going to be drooling around if they do need a point guard. Mm-hmm. And they fit exactly what I was saying. They both are so good in different aspects. They don't play – really, none of these guys play the same games. They all have different player strengths and player traits that make them such good players. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, those five guys, Dennis Smith, Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, Frank Intilacana is how I pronounce his name. Okay, let's go with and that. Mark, <laughs> and Markel Fultz. They're, mm-hmm. Those are the guys in this draft. So which guy – I mean, uh, can I ask you personally, which guy really excites you the most? Well, Lonzo Ball is the really glamour boy of this draft, especially since he's been – he got the college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an exceptional passer, an exceptional facilitator, can hit the deep ball well. But the player that excites me most is Markel Fultz. Right. He's playing for a struggling Washington team. But you're talking about a guy who can – you can just get the ball in this guy's hand and then go to work. Yeah. And he's going to give you everything on the offensive end. An exceptional pull-up jump shooter – exceptional facilitator, passer, goes to the rim, finishes around the rim about as good as anybody as I've seen as a college prospect in terms of acrobatic finishes, effectiveness around the rim. I mean, this he's athletic. He finishes above the rim. And he's just a dominating scorer. When you think of guys in the past, like, a, say, a Brandon Roy right. for Portland before he retired, guys you just get the ball to and then go to work, and that's really your best option. That's the kind of guy Marquez Fultz is. And watching him, it's just exciting to see what he can do. Yeah, so right I, to the NBA in terms of being versatile and being able to score at all three levels of the court. Um, yeah, I've had an opportunity to to watch some of his highlights actually of the of the the many players that I still haven't uh, done. But uh, Markel Fultz, yeah, that is a really exciting looking player. Um, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about players that really know how to score in college at the point guard or shooting guard position and um, a lot of getting to the paint, uh, a lot of, you know, being able to blow past guys. And that, that, that really excites us because we see, you know, advanced moves. We see, we see guys being able to do things and, uh, you know, make others on the court look, look uh, inferior. And, it's just with point guards and shooting guards, guys under six four um, who do that and get to the rim at ease. It's really hit or miss when it gets when it comes to translating that to the pros. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's probably the thing that's hardest to predict is what is a shoot a point guard like that going to end up doing in the league? Because you know, in recent years, we look at guys like Marcus Smart, Damian Lillard, uh, Shabazz Muhammad. Very, very good at getting to the rim in college, um, scoring in a, in a heap of ways. But, I mean, even Damian Lillard, who we associate with, you know, high, high, uh, high skill level at, at three-point shooting and clutch shots, he was relying way more on his, uh, you know, dribbling skills and getting to the basket on a drive uh, in, the college, in his college days. And, and we've seen him turn into a star, but we've seen guys like Marcus Smart, who was a sixth overall pick in a very good draft, um, certainly not have a disappointing career, but have a career where he's sort of a scrappy guard, um, 
almost more of a shooting guard now, even though he's six four than a point guard. And um, I mean, we see it with uh, other players too, who just kind of have a, a very unpredictable career. I find that it's the hardest thing to really map out what's this guy's career going to be about. Um, whereas, you know, if a guy is a good shooter, if a guy is a, is a good defender, we kind of know what's up. We know what to expect. So um, that's really interesting that, um, you know, Markel Fultz is up there. I, I hope that he's one of the, one of the better stories. Uh, what do you think um, he's going to look like translating to the pros? Well, the first question with Fultz is whether the team that drafts him is going to use him as a point guard or a two guard. It's looking like they want, teams want to use him as a point guard right now. And if he does end up playing the point guard spot, the main question is, will he learn how to properly run an NBA offense? Right. And I feel like that's the one area that he has struggled with so far in college is running. You can be flashy. You can shoot the ball. You can get to the rim. You can make flashy passes. But if you don't know how to properly run an offense, be able to pick your spots and get your guys open and make the right plays, you're going to struggle as a point guard. And we see guys like Tony Parker is a great example of running an offense. Jeff Teague is a great example of running an offense. Yeah. And look, guys say like D'Angelo Russell, who came out of college as a really flashy scorer, but a flashy passer. He was really raved on about his passing ability. And not to say that he hasn't been good in his two years mm-hmm. so far, but there's been stretches where he's been a starting point guard and the Lakers offense kind of looks flat. Right. And if you're a point guard, it doesn't matter how good you can pass. You can't allow your offense to be flat. You need your guys to be moving. You need good communication. You need to be able to pick your spots, make the right passes, set your teammates up. Mm-hmm. The offense is doing what it's supposed to do. And a lot of young point guards that come to the league have this problem because it takes time. It's not easy to just plug a guy in and be able to properly run everything like he's supposed to. It takes time to learn an offense, to learn plays, to run sets. And it's just difficult for young guys. Right. I agree especially with you. The, right. Especially yeah. these guys who are inserted as rookies who start right away. You know, a guy like Emmanuel Moutier as well, or Marcus Smart, who was mm-hmm. allowed to be a smart to be a starter before Isaiah Thomas got there. Yeah. This is something that I like the young guys struggle with. Some guys just have a knack for it and can do it better than most. Like a Damian but, Lillard. Or, like a yeah. Damian Lillard, exactly. So for Marco Fultz and these really a bunch of these other guys, it's going to be the main issue, really starting their careers. Right. Yeah, and 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 unfortunately, I think that in the in recent years, the league is is actually become a little too forgiving with young guards not being able to facilitate as well. And um, I'm not sure if that's you know the league just kind of moving on and that's just one thing that happens where look we're not going to need a guy to pound the rock for 20 out of 24 seconds of the shot clock and then just you know give an assist to a post player the ball's got to move a lot more now and and we try to get shots off faster so we're not always looking for a guy to just get 12 assists a game and that's why guys like rondo have kind of become ineffective um so the league has become unfortunately forgiving a little too forgiving to guys that that come out of the out of the college game without much of a knowledge of how to run an offense because um, point guards aren't being asked that much anymore on that side of things. They're asked a lot more to cut off ball, you know, and that's totally a result of Steph Curry 
being, uh, you know, the best player of the world last year or whatever, the unanimous MVP. People want to mimic the best. And, uh, you know, we've seen point guards get asked to score a lot more. And that's making a lot of guys uncomfortable that might not have been score first guys in the first place and are now having to sort of do things that they're not naturally accustomed to, like a Emmanuel Moutier. And maybe even D'Angelo Russell at this point. You know, we were we were talking about two years ago when he was drafted that he's a great passer. But since coming to the league, I think we know him a lot more for his clutch shots and his uh, his shooting. And um, he's probably not being asked to pass the ball as much and run things all the time, uh, especially because he plays with a lot of other young guys that, um, you know, need some attention. So it feels like even if this is an issue um, – doesn't look like it's probably going to get resolved going forward, which is unfortunate. So, um, yeah, I mean, Lonzo Ball seems to be the opposite, right? Where he's oh, yeah. a facilitator by he's all at, means. He's as advanced as it gets as yeah. a passer and a facilitator. And I've said that, you know, when he was still in high school, noticing the passes he was making, pinpoint passes, full court press passes, or simple base passes, he makes yeah. them all. And that's what makes him such a glamorous prospect. Is because you, he's a guy you can just plug in, and he will make the right play. He's an incredibly intellectual player in terms of reading defenses and knowing where his guys are supposed to be. And so teams one, like you said, it has become outdated, and that's due to the, I guess I can call it the revolution of the NBA. Right. We're relying less on you know point guards being your floor generals and more so wanting your guards to you know play off ball shoot from the perimeter and we see it more so in the nba the good example are the golden state warriors where facilitator he's mainly on the perimeter taking shots you see Draymond green is really their top facilitator or andre Iguodala, right yeah exactly or, or and ben simmons there's a lot of players like that coming up now definitely the Part of it, too, is teams are wanting to revolve more around their big men becoming facilitators. And LeBron James, you can count him as really the top mold of that. And a good example, like we were just talking about D'Angelo Russell, when you're watching Laker games, most times it's Julius Randle bringing the ball up after he gets rebounds, not D'Angelo Russell and making plays. And so it's really the point guard becoming the floor general is outdated. But if a team does want to keep that alive and keep it as the base of their offense which for most teams it really is a good idea to keep that kind of base offense yeah then that's where Lonzo Ball is going to really excel because he's just that good at it do you believe that uh pass first guards can function in a high high pace um team or do you think that that's, well, that's where a guy like doesn't work that's a, where a guy like De'Aaron Fox okay Kentucky really excels because okay. he's the guy, if you want to run a fast-paced offense, this is the guy you want. And when you're watching Kentucky games, you know, even when they have, their opponents make shots, he's bringing out the floor. He's getting buckets within three or four seconds of the shot clock. Mm-hmm. He, he's quick. He's fast. He's in control. And he knows when to step back and just make passes. He has stars on that team. He has Malik Monk, who, if you ask me, is the best player, best prospect of this draft. He has okay. guys like Bam Adebayo, who's a dominant force down low. He does, isn't required to put up 25 points every night, but he's such a fast guy where he can get 25 points just by blowing past his matchups 
and finishing around the rim at ease. Mm-hmm. So if you we're talking about guys who are pass first, being able to run a fast-paced offense, a guy like De'Aaron Fox is really the perfect mold for that if you're wanting to do it. But other than him, it's definitely more difficult because not every guy is going to have that knowledgeable passing ability and be able to have the speed to keep up with a fast-paced offense. Usually your, fa- your fast-paced guys are guys who are more focused on getting to the rim Whereas your typical pass first point guards, with the exception of a guy like John Wall, isn't focusing more on blowing past everybody and getting the shot up as quick as possible. A pass first point guard wants the best shot for his teammates, which typically comes in a half court set. So certain guys can do it. Certain guys like John Wall and Nedley De'Aaron Fox can fit that mold, but it's more difficult for different guys who aren't as capable as those guys are. Okay. And so um, in other uh, positions, um, you know, you mentioned Malik Monk, who's, I mean, he's 6'3", but he's, he's being called a shooting guard. Um, so what other wings or bigs do you think um, are, are uh, really stand out to you uh, aside from point guards? <laughs> well, Malik Monk is obviously the guy at the wing. Um, yeah. Whoever has him look- Usually what I've seen, he's more 6'4", 6'5". I'm not completely sure. Um, all these different sources who give metrics are so differentiating. Well, and these really guys sure. are still going through puberty, so <laughs> the change exactly. is everything. But if you're talking <laughs> about a guy who is as polished of a scorer as you can possibly get in a league who relies so much on scoring, I mean, I don't know how you can't look at Malik Monk and say, this guy is the most valuable in the draft. Mm. Because... When it comes to perimeter shooting, his jump shot is – I can't say any jump shot is perfect, but the way he just squares up his body, goes up, leaves at the highest points, right. wrist motion, the way it comes off his hands, and it goes in. At a, he's shooting a good 43% from three. And on pace to break Kentucky's single-season record that was set by Jamal Murray last year. If you need a good example of what I'm talking about, in his game against North Carolina earlier this year, he put up – 47 points. The dude was wow. unconscious. And for, <laughs> co- for college standards, 47 points is not easy, especially yeah. not for a college freshman. It doesn't happen all that often. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the guy is just an involved shooter. And he's also as athletic as it gets. He's a monster in fast break situations. can finish by the rim with ridiculous dunks. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy is a highlight reel and also can just – run a base offense, you know, pull up from mid-range, uh, drive ISO to the rim. I mean, I, he's the best scorer of this draft. I don't think it's even close. Mm. In terms of, say, on the wings, a lot of people like Josh Jackson in Kansas, and he's a good prospect. He's a solid body, around 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, right. strong upper body, defends very well, is athletic, still struggles offensively. His jump shot needs a lot of work. But he's a very versatile guy when you think of a really less evolved Grant Hill. You know, a guy you can plug into three spot and really get a lot of different things from. I think is a great prospect. But if you want the flashy kind of fun, I guess you could say fun guy to watch, is a guy named Jason Tatum who goes to Duke. Solid 6'8 right. on the perimeter. I mean, scoring is his forte. Very good post player for a wing. 
has a really solid jump shot. Face-off game is good. Not the most willing passer, not the most willing defender, mm-hmm. but a guy who I think can get up to 20 points a game in the NBA. No, not right away, but by his third or fourth year, he'll be a prominent scorer in the league. Right. And do you think that his defense is – obviously, it, it, there's improvement to be made, but do you think that it's something that's going to make him a liability – or do you think that that's something that it, we could still fix? It's definitely fixable, and a lot of it with him is mental. Okay. It's not where he doesn't have the physical tools to become a good defender. I think he does. But it's the mindset to not want to put in all the effort you need to in playing defense. Some right. of the guys who are particular scorers, you know, their mindset is to score, and they're really attitudes kind of shift away from the defensive end and are just focused on scoring. I think that's his biggest issue right now. But the scoring is at a level where you can kind of get away with it right now. But it's right. going to be fixing in the NBA, and it can be fixed. But it's going to rely on him improving himself to do it. Well, it's just kind of worrisome because, um, you know, when you hear guys from Duke that uh, really know how to score – they, they have a tremendous level of IQ on that end of the floor, but they just can't really get it together on the defensive end. It reminds me of Jalil Okafor, and that kind of worries me because um, I think we're at a point where if you just can't play any defense, um, yeah. it doesn't really seem to matter what you, what you contribute on the other end. You're unplayable. And the, 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 the more we get into big men and even wings that play more of a power forward position or something like that, it becomes more and more impossible to work those guys back in. Guards can get away with a little bit of lackluster defense, it seems. But, um, you know, that's something he's got to worry about because at 6'8", possibly going to be even taller when he gets to the league, um, that's a guy who's – it doesn't matter what he does. He's not going to get playing time if he can't defend. And uh, it's not really easy to bail him out with uh, another player because uh, – Big men don't really play side by side the way guards do. Um, so I mean, uh, yeah, that 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 sounds like there's a lot to be heard about point guards, and it seems like this draft is really going to bail out a lot of teams at the bottom that really, really need some uh, some someone to jumpstart what's going on there. And I'm talking about the the Miami Heat, the Dallas Mavericks, you know. The, possibly the New Orleans Pelicans, if they if they continue to to, to lose some games, uh, you know, what do you think um, a team like Boston should do with uh, with their pick uh, going forward? Do you think Boston needs to hold out? Because it looks like so far the Nets have the worst record in the NBA, um, and they're probably going to end up with a top top three pick, uh, top four pick. Do you think Boston should keep that pick? Or do you think they should be trading it? It's a conundrum with Boston, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, what Danny Ainge was able to do getting all those picks is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But the biggest question is, if Boston does decide to hit that pick and it does end up being the number one overall pick, then who are you willing to give up to make a spot for? Right. Because when you think of locks on that team as they're going, Isaiah Thomas is a lock of point guard. He's not going anywhere. Dal Horford who's playing center for the most part. He's not going anywhere. You just drafted Jalen Brown with a third overall pick and invested in him as a small forward while you already have Jay Crowder. I don't Mm -hmm. think he's going anywhere. And then you look at the two-guard spots. 
where there's really strengths in this draft, are you willing to give up on Avery Bradley and just kind of push him aside to get a guy who can potentially be more value at the two guard spots? But if I look at Boston, I think their most glamoring issue is the power forward spots. So if I'm Boston and I decide to keep that pick and I get the first overall pick, a guy I'm looking at is Harry Giles out of Duke, who has been the top big man in this draft really since he came out of high school. He was the top overall recruit for really most of his recruiting process. Right. But a torn ACL in his, injured, in his senior year really pushed him back a little bit. And right now you're seeing him kind of going through growing pains because he had to miss a good 10 or so games for Duke. So he was already a bit behind. And from what I'm hearing, he's having a lot of struggles really keeping up with his team who's already, you know, 10 games ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the growing pains of going from high school to college. Part of it is still recovering from that knee injury. But he's a guy who does a lot of good things. He's a good face-up slasher. Reminds me a lot of Chris Webber. Mm-hmm. You know, big body dude, hit some mid-range jump shots, good off-ball player who sets himself up around the rim. So, if, I, if I'm Boston and I'm keeping that pick, he's definitely a guy I'm looking at because he's the best option. Because right now they're starting either Amir Johnson or Jonas Jarebko or Kelly Olenek in the power forward spots. And that's really the spot where you can just plug a new guy in there and there's not really going to be repercussions on your team. Whereas you take every Bradley out and the team may suffer some setback just because he's been the starter there for a good few years now. Mm. But if they don't decide to keep the pick, you know, it's been on the market and they seem to be on, they seem to be interested in training for everybody. I'll put it that way. Right. Obviously, no, they've been interested in DeMarcus Cousins for a good few years now. Uh, Don't know if maybe a guy like Blake Griffin, Paul George, possibly Paul Millsap was on the market for a while. And really, that's the most valuable asset they have in making a potential trade for a quote-unquote superstar because mm-hmm. it, because of the player you're going to get if you do get that pick. Well, so it, if, I think well, they should I, trade the pick. I think they should try to get the best value out of it because their team is so young and loaded as it is. But mm-hmm. if they can't get a deal worked out, then – you know, you may as well keep it. Maybe you find a really good player that fits well on your team, but you have to see. Okay. Well, we we uh, we sort of defer there because um, you know that, and that I, I certainly see where you're coming from. I just feel like um, you know I'm not sure if that's what Boston's really going to do. And it's it, it it's uh, there's been a couple steps so far in the last few months that kind of made me feel that way. And it's it's one you know. Um, their, their hesitance to really go for that superstar so far. And I, I think people say, oh, well, look at Al Horford. They signed him. What do, you, what do you think about that? Well, that I don't think was ever intended to be a superstar signing. I think Al, and I think most people would agree Al Horford's not your superstar cornerstone, take me to a championship kind of guy. But he's certainly a piece to that. He could very well be the second best player on a championship level team. But um, I think that's just Boston setting itself up getting another piece, um, not one that they want to trade. I think Al Horford is someone they see in their long-term plans. Um, but I think that's sort of the, the piece right before the big piece. And a lot of people say, well, they need to look at trading for Jimmy Butler, trading for 
um, you know, any 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 big name player that's on the market really gets thrown into Boston trades, whether it's Boogie Cousins or even, uh, you know, anybody really out there. But I think what Boston's really going to end up doing here is keeping this pick to themselves and picking up a guy that is just – well, if they end up with the first pick, they'll probably just end up taking whoever's being told – by everyone to be the number one pick. That's usually what happens. But if they don't end up with the first pick, I see them taking, um, you know, talent that's immediately going to make an impact over potential because I think last year they picked Jalen Brown in the opposite mentality and we're not really seeing that pay off and it's not really making a whole ton of sense for Jalen Brown in Boston right now. I think if Boston is able to get a player that can they just, they, that they can put into the starting lineup right away with this draft pick, um, I think they'll take the opportunity to do so. And I think guys like Isaiah Thomas um, and Jay Crowder, sort of players that people have been saying are more temporary, just pieces for a trade, I think those guys are going to be sticking around and they're going to be having to adjust once the younger players sort of take a more star role. And I think those guys shouldn't have too much of a problem with that. You know, Isaiah Thomas having a big year, um, a lot of people would say maybe he's going to get it, let it get to him. I think he's still a very, like, workable player. And being 5'9", I think he knows that he's never going to be, like, the number one piece to a championship. He knows he's going to have to change his role once the team gets a lot more scoring talent. And I think that's what they'll do with this pick. And, you know... One thing that really made me realize that it's not going to be the top players on this roster that are scoring the most points right now that are going to be moved. It's going to be the guys that really are just wasting their time on this roster now. And what made me realize that was when R.J. Hunter was cut. Um, you know, they could have easily made a trade and tried to make something work so that R.J. could stay on that team and work his way up because that was a player they were very very happy to have and they liked having them there but they just had to make a cut because they had 15 guys they had to keep and um i think what's going to happen is all these guys like james young tyler zeller even kelly olenic and all these guys that aren't main pieces are going to have to get the boot and we're going to see guys like isaiah thomas um avery bradley jay crowder um amir johnson readjust themselves and i think they're going to go with the youth movement but keep around that uh, that sort of mid mid career veteran talent and, and go forward with that. That's just my take. Um, as far as Harry Giles go, those um, I, I really like this guy. I, I I I mean he's probably the first name I heard about this draft uh, a few years ago when these guys were still all m mostly in high school. I don't think he's going to declare for the draft this year, and and there's obviously the injury that indicates that to me. Um, but also just. You know, in the past when we've seen injured players, um, you know, go ahead and declare for the draft like a Nerlens Noel or uh, Joel Embiid, you know, it was after having a really good college season. And then the injury happened and then they said, well, we put a product out on the floor for you um, so you can judge me based on that. Whereas Harry Giles is coming into his freshman year already injured, dealing with the the, the recovery. So it's not a good year for him. And I think him and his agent will both probably agree that he's better than what he's putting on the floor right now. And being from North Carolina, you know, going to Oak Hill Academy, I think this guy's very comfortable with the college basketball system and going to Duke is, is indicative of that as well. So he's, 
probably more likely than anybody to stick around for another year. Um, but what do you think about that? I mean, those are great points. And you bring up really great points in terms of how Boston is going Thank to prepare you. themselves for the future. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. Because they gave Al Horford the big contract. And I'm a Hawks fan. I've watched him for the past nine years there. And he's an incredible player. And he's been good for them in terms of that stretch big and being able to pass the passing from the post, and it's really helped a guy like Isaiah Thomas out, who's leading the Eastern Conference in scoring. And to go along with that, in terms of building for their future, because a lot of these guys are still particularly young, besides Horford, is Isaiah Thomas becoming your superstar? Mm-hmm. Is he the guy you're going to build around for years to come? And he's obviously, you know, not a liability on defense, but his scoring, especially in the fourth quarter, I mean, is this the guy who even if you do draft, you know, an incredible player who's going to potentially be a superstar like a Markel Fultz or a Malik Monk, mm-hmm. is, are those guys going to be Isaiah Thomas? Or is Isaiah Thomas going to take the back seat and let another person really rise up? And it's a question okay. that it's going to have to be answered in the coming years. I don't think it's that big of an issue for this season just because you, know, you don't have that guy yet. And unless you yeah. send everything out and trade for Jimmy Butler – or something like that, then it doesn't become a priority until the offseason. But it's good points in Boston, and I want to call it it's not really any negativity surrounding it because you're at looking at adding more great talent to what's already a solid team. But it's mainly just questions, and questions you're going to have to answer to your fans, to your media, to yourselves, to your team. And really, I want to say that they don't know which direction they're going, but I don't think guys like Danny Ainge particularly made up their mind in terms of really everything that you just said and some of the things I just said. I think it seems mm. like they're going to need to get figured out if they're going to take the next step and they're kind of a top contender. Right. Um, so is there anyone else that you just have any last notes before we, uh, we sort of wrap things up? Anyone else that we might have missed at the top of the draft board that uh, really catches your eye? Well, I'll go through a few guys. Um, I won't get full in breakdowns because I'm not sure how much time we have left. The guys that need to be worth yeah. noting. Um, a guy I really like the place of Florida State and Jonathan Isaac. Um, he was a guy who almost had his name included in last year's draft. But decided to play college anyways. And he's one of those guys. He's long, lengthy, can dribble, can shoot. And something that he's a player that – Really, every player that's fit that mold has gotten the Kevin Durant comparison. Yeah. Like Brandon Ingram, like guys in the past. Every time it's the next Kevin Durant, the long guys who can shoot or whatever. I think of all the guys we that media has labeled the next Kevin Durant, Jonathan Isaac is the closest thing in terms of play style, in terms of body, in terms of intangibles, that's the closest to Kevin Durant. Not saying he will become Kevin Durant. But he's definitely the clo- yeah. closer than Brandon Ingram ever was, in my opinion. But he's a great talent. <laughs> um, I got really like was originally an international player, but played for Arizona right now is Laurie Markkanen. He's basically mm-hmm. another Kristaps Porzingis, you know, big body, incredible three point shot. Um, really does a lot of the really the same things that Kristaps Porzingis does, and a league really molding towards you know needing versatile floors that can play on the perimeter. He fits that mold, so he's going to be a guy that a lot of players are going to be looking at. Um, but then in terms of other big men to join, 
guys like that, you have Bam Adebayo for Kentucky, who's massive, massive body. And the main label for him has been a Dwight Howard body with an Amari Sotomayor skill set, which is pretty terrifying in terms of he can only get better with that massive size. And there's games where he's put up 20, 25 points literally just because he's bigger than everybody else. And he's a skilled guy, he's a talented <laughs> well, guy. That's, that's, yeah. but, but along with that, I've noticed the league has drawn away from that kind of player, relying less on players like Dwight Howard, who were just dominant presidents down low, to more of stretch bigs who are going to get you more productivity from the perimeter. So I don't know if a right. team's going to rely heavily on, I guess, traditional game in terms of what they want in their centers, and then they'll take a bite on him. We'll have to see. But he's a good enough talent to where you're not going to pass up on him if he's there, if you need that position. And then Miles Bridges is a guy who a lot of people like just because of his athleticism. I re- a lot of people think he will declare for the draft. I really don't think to declare just because of his name. He's just – his. He's such a raw talent offensively. And when you look at him play, he's big, he's agile, he's athletic as all get out. But he doesn't really do anything besides, you know, really make highlight dunks, highlight blocks, things that really he can only do because of his athleticism. And I think I see this a lot, guys, when you think of guys like Wesley Johnson, for example, guys who don't really have a set game, but mm-hmm. rely solely on their athleticism to try and make it in the NBA. And it's really impossible to do. You have to have some kind of game aside from just being more athletic than everybody else. And that's really the category that Miles Bridges falls under. And I think he'll need another year to really develop his game more. But if he doesn't right. have to declare this year, then good friend, we'll see where he goes. He should be a first-round pick regardless just because of his upside. His ceiling is off the roof. Thing there. Mm. Well, you bring up some really interesting uh, notes on on these players, so um, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to take uh, a more deep look at uh, at the pool of players we have uh, uh, coming up for this draft, whether whether they're gonna be declaring or not. Um, very interesting, a lot of talent to, to be seen. If you ever need to read up more, I got a big board that should be coming out sometime this next week. So hopefully, mm-hmm. I can get that to you and it'll help you out a little bit. Well, I'd I love like to the- check it out. <laughs> They have the top 30 prospects, and including NBA comparisons, a little thing I've thrown in there, which I hope will help anybody that really has questions on the draft. Oh, that's certainly like the, the, the first thing I look at when I, when I check out these mock drafts. But um, a lot of the times, it's very general, very broad. And uh, I, the thing about comparison is most of the time, it's based on physical appearance or uh, yeah. oh, athletic guy is or what is his shooting now I, I you know if if i hear someone being compared to clay thompson i want it to be because his shooting percentages mimic those of clay thompson not because his release looks like it you know what i mean uh, that's certainly frustrating yeah i feel that a lot and it's really what a lot of people like to do and comparisons also get misinterpreted like when i was just talking about jonathan isaac you know, kind of molding after Kevin Durant. And a lot of people, when they hear that, be like, well, this guy's never going to be as good as Kevin Durant. Well, that's not what comparisons are all about. It's yeah. Comparisons are really when we make them. It's who they remind you of. 
and how their numbers reflect how their bodies look, how they play. Play style is really the main thing that goes into comparisons. You know, like you said, if you're comparing a player to comparing a player to Clay Thompson, you know, I'm looking at a guy like say Devin Booker, who in college was compared to a lot to Clay Thompson. Not just because you no, know, they're they look the same when they're playing. You know, not just because yeah. his stroke looks the same. I'm looking for a guy. If you're calling him the next Clay Thompson, I'm looking for a guy who's, you know, just going to straight nail it from the perimeter. You know, yeah. guys who can catch on fire, you know, instantaneously and just stroke it and stroke it and stroke it. And it really goes to any NBA comparison. They take mm-hmm. full context and detail. You can't just say, oh, he's going to be as good as another guy. A lot of people did that with Ben Simmons last year, which I hated. I hated, I hated, I hated those comparisons. And people were just like, Ben Simmons coming in, he's the next LeBron James, he's the next Magic Johnson. Like, no, we're not, we yeah. can't be doing this. And it, it didn't hurt him because he still went first overall. But I think it hurt his reputation a little bit because those comparisons were unfair. You know, you can't be yeah. Well, I, I, when he was and Magic Johnson comparisons out to a guy coming out of high school. You just can't do it. Yeah. And, no. I mean, he did the same things that they did. And in some circumstances, they were – they, he does the same things that they did, but I mean, you can't throw huge expectations like that with player comparisons. You know, they had to take right. in more than just what you see in highlights and what you see in the eye test to really get a good comparison yeah. to be like, this guy can be like this guy. Well, when uh, the Ben Simmons, LeBron James comparisons were coming out, I, obviously that was just. And that so many times, whether it's Andrew Wiggins or um, you know, Harrison Barnes a few years ago was in that conversation and their playing style oh, yeah. couldn't be more different. Um, I was always yeah. saying that Simmons reminded me kind of of a, uh, of a faster Julius Randle, more of a, more of a three than a four, but a little mm. bit more realistic. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the mock draft. Uh, where can people find um any content that you might have you know whether it's mock drafts or uh articles anything like that where can people find that um well obviously i'll have stuff coming out like that on my own if you want later on in the year if you want to pay attention to that um really nbadraft.net is a site that i really like to use because they offer good information cbs sports offers good big boards just to get a real good idea draft express gives full-on uh, full on details and subscription about the guys. Yeah. I wouldn't really trust Bleacher Report or ESPN as much just because Bleacher <laughs> Report is notoriously bad for overhyping everything, especially when it comes to draft prospects. And ESPN, not as bad, but really the same kind of, you know, clickbait kind of thing when it comes to prospects. Even though if you do have Insider, they do offer really nice scouting reports and stuff like that from Jeff Porzello and guys like that. But really, we are mm-hmm. so – we're in an era that you can find really anything about these guys. Even if you just go on Google and type in a prospect's name or type in NBA draft big board or NBA mock draft, you're going to get a good 20, 30 so different links that are going to get you to different details and information. Mm-hmm. And you can also – the thing that benefits me more than I like to admit that it does is YouTube videos and highlight reels, you know, being able to go on YouTube and, you know, look up a civic prospect and getting 
you know, highlight reels and stuff like that. But there's also full games. People don't know this. Games that are on ESPN and CBS, you can type in, say, Kentucky versus North Carolina from December 5th or whenever the game was. They'll, they have the full games on oh, YouTube yeah. videos where you can go and watch and really you want to watch a specific prospect and just that prospect and go there and just watch what he does. So that's a yeah. thing that me and others like to do. But really, if you have a smartphone, which mass majority of us do, you really can just go online and find really whatever you need to about these guys. And you're going to get some kind of information. Whether you see it as reliable or credible or not is up to you. Look at it. Um, the What you said about, uh, you know, full games being put on YouTube and stuff like that. I mean, that's something I like to do when um, – I've got other things going on. Maybe I'm um, or something. I put up my tablet just on the side, mute the volume. That's something that I like to watch when I'm not trying to hear what's the audio of the game. Because if it's an NBA game, I, I admit I care a little bit more about what the announcers have to say. Um, I, yeah. I care more about the story. I care more about what what's going on with this team right now. I, I, I um, whereas it's college, it's more just sort of my own personal little scouting. I'm just watching, um, you know, game footage to see what's going on. And that's always fun for me. I just put it on on the side. Um, whereas with an NBA game, I, I kind of want to know everything that's going on. Um, so that, that that's certainly something I would also, you know, suggest some people do because it's free and it's on there. and You can just watch it in HD um, anytime. So. Um, as far as uh, your Twitter goes, what's your Twitter handle for people if they want to follow you? Uh, it is Justin underscore Hodges 22. Pretty okay. simple. Um, if you want to follow me on there, um, I mean, I like to be a little funny on Twitter, as, <laughs> as we all should. But I like to think I offer some good content on there. You can find mm -hmm. most of my articles. I'll have them linked on there as soon as they get posted online. But that's really the best way to find me. Okay. All right. Well, Justin, thank you for coming on the show. Um, certainly keep in touch as the, uh, the draft nears us. And uh, hopefully we can have you on the show again and talk some more about the draft. Definitely, man. Anytime. Um, there was a good about 15 or so prospects that I didn't get to go fully on, but it's been fun talking about the main guys. I'll have to come back on and give a really top to bottom breakdown. Hey, this has been fun, man. I've been happy coming on. For sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can listen to the six year stint on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, best apps that you like to use. You can follow us on Twitter at six year stint, uh, follow on Facebook. We also those on our uh, conversations on YouTube if, if you prefer listening on there. Um, so make sure that you subscribe and and uh, stay in tune as we the uh, full season coverage of all 30 teams, including the draft, off season, and uh, what have you. So thank you for listening, guys. Uh, thank you for Justin for coming on the show. My name is Sean Tomessi, and you're listening to the Six Year Stint NBA Podcast. Mm -hmm.